Welcome to the Macmillan Report. I'm Marilyn Wilkshire, host, and our guest is Adim Suhail, the Singh Postdoctoral Associate at the South Asian Studies Council at the Macmillan Center. He is trained as a social anthropologist, and his work broadly pertains to issues in the anthropology of politics and the politics of knowledge production. His research interests are situated at the intersection of the anthropology of violence, state theory, and urban anthropology, and his work has been published in a number of publications. Today, we'll talk with Professor Suhail about his research on gang violence in Pakistan. Welcome, Professor Suhail. Hi, Marilyn. Thank you for having me here. So let's begin with an overview of your work. Tell us about it. Well, Marilyn, I work on cities. I work on cities and uh, the processes that produce conflicts as well as cooperations in the city. And uh, my work ties all of these processes to desiring bodies. Right? Um, I look at the ways in which these diverse and multi-scalar processes of desiring sometimes converge, at other times diverge, and sometimes the residue of these processes is violence. Mm -hmm. And uh, in order to study this, I went to my hometown. My field site is where I grew up, which is the city of Karachi, which has been going through a number of uh, conflicts, uh, but as well as a number of these, these beautiful coming together of people uh, in times of crises. Um, and so it became an apt place to study these processes. Okay, and what led you to study gang violence specifically? Well, I study gang violence precisely because of this one curious fact that everybody, all antagonistic forces, people who absolutely hate each other's guts, uh, people who are on completely opposite sides of the spectrum uh, somehow agree that uh, gangs uh, are this, this socially uh, pathological uh, formation uh, in the city and that something must be done about it. Now they verily disagree, they, they, they vehemently disagree on what that intervention should be, mm -hmm. but they do think that it is something worth intervening in. And for me, that became, that consensus, that grand consensus became a starting point. How come people who absolutely despise each other, who absolutely disagree with each other's uh, political, social worldviews, agree on this one fact? That is weird. That mm -hmm. is difficult to find in this world. And that became the starting point for my, uh, for my inquiry. Now, as I said, I study desire. So one of the main, um, questions for me was, well, how are these desires converging mm -hmm. on the, around this one object called the gang or, or this one space called the gangland? And, uh, and so gang violence became uh, one of the best ways to study uh, the ways in which political consensus might be achieved um, okay. around an object seen as a site of a problem. Mm -hmm. Okay. So how did you do the research? Well, um, in order to study gangs, gangs are notoriously hard to study. Exactly. Uh, simply because uh, if one goes out to study a gang, one wants people 
to be doing gangly things, yes. right? Uh, that is not what they do 99% of the time. Okay. 99% of the time, um, spoiler alert, they're just regular human beings mm -hmm. doing regular human being things. Now, the epistemology um, on gangs, specifically in the U.S. where it is uh, very, very well studied, a little bit too well studied, uh, which is to say that the gang becomes an object of so many desires, right? Um, well, here it appears as if uh, the gang only appears as, 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 a, as a criminological entity, as an entity that needs to be dealt with on the criminological level. And I absolutely disagree with that. There is a century of research, uh, a whole century of social scientific research on gangs. And that is what I had to challenge. So I took two routes. The first one was um, I went and lived with them. So I did uh, two years of ethnographic fieldwork in this place called Liari in Karachi, which became identified as the gangland, as sort of a frontier where the writ of the Pakistani state does not exist. Well, it wasn't quite true, but uh, I had to go and find out how it was not true and mm -hmm. how political order, how life, two million people lived there. So how life went on, mm -hmm. right, in this no-go zone. Um, and so I did ethnography. But then in order to actually really contextualize the activities that I saw, the kinds of ways in which uh, gangs were mediating and becoming really project managers for processes that were transnational, uh, national, as well as informal and illicit. I'm not denying the illicit part of their activities. Mm -hmm. Well, in order to put them in context, I had to go to London, England, where um, exists a huge body of colonial archives. And I wanted to look at the people of this region, that specific population, that specific area, and how it has been sort of characterized and how did it become what it is today um, across centuries. And I found some astounding uh, data there that sort of helped me uh, uh, figure out what was actually going on in reality. Okay, so tell us about the astounding data. Well, one of the issues is uh, that we think that gangs are a recent phenomena and urban phenomena, but actually uh, what are gangsters today were at one time traders. Um, Karachi is a port city and uh, the Indian Ocean trade um, in across the 18th century was one of uh, the most lucrative uh, zones of exchange mm -hmm. in the world. It, it was extremely profitable. And uh, the, the population that we identify with gangs in Karachi today were at the time seafarers and sailors. Now, as the colonial regime comes in, uh, as the imperial geography expands itself and envelops uh, Karachi, people who were just transporters before become smugglers, mm -hmm. right? And so, um, and, and, the, and the ethnic group that is identified with this locality, which is the Baloch, uh, the British identified them as uh, the criminal tribes, mm -hmm. uh, which is just an index of the fact that uh, these were people who were not willing to lay down uh, quietly. Right. And so they were political dissidents. And so, in the imperial geography, there is uh, countless instances where uh, political resistance is crim criminalized. This looked uh, eerily like interwar Chicago. Uh, mm -hmm. And so to tell the uh, story of Liari, one has to go to Chicago also. 
where um, in the interwar period, um, really influential social scientists uh, embarking on an enterprise at the University of Chicago that uh, sort of really uh, built the American social sciences in many, many ways, uh, both methodologically and epistemologically. Well, these guys were looking at uh, two waves of migration, uh, one uh, of uh, African Americans escaping Jim Crow South, Mm -hmm. and uh, ethnic whites escaping uh, um, war-torn and sort of uh, unstable Europe, uh, mostly from uh, Eastern Europe. And they were looking at these migrant communities that were thrust into sort of these, these uh, shanty towns uh, in mm -hmm. this quickly industrializing Chicago. Right. And they were saying, let's go study them, these other people, right? And there was an emergent uh, social form within those groups as well that were looking to sometimes get access to uh, jobs, right? Uh, one of the ways uh, in which gangs operated was they, were, they got you access to jobs, mm -hmm. um, and hence their uh, association with trade unions in this country, uh, with labor unions. And uh, they did community protection. Um, bands of young men would get together and protect their communities in a highly charged atmosphere in an extremely violent post-war America where sort of we don't have any sense of like the PTSD, a very good sense of uh, exactly what went on after World War I and these boys who were coming back, mm -hmm. uh, bringing uh, violent urges um, and traumas with them. So the 1920s, Al Capone, sort of, we associate these things. Right. Well, these guys, uh, all sort of well-meaning social scientists, went into these slums of Chicago, uh, these, uh, looking at these, these uh, migrant communities, mm -hmm. and said, hey, they have this violent social form. We'll name it the gang. And that really codified what the gang is. Mm -hmm. So when I went to the archive, uh, to, put a long, to cut a long story short, uh, I looked at both the way the word gang uh, the became an analytical category by eliding its racialized construction, okay. uh, by eliding its classed construction. It has a category of difference and pathology by definition, right. uh, rather than the contingent circumstances of interwar Chicago. So the career of the category of the gang, as well as the career of these people, the genealogy, the history of these people across centuries who are now identified as the gangs in Karachi. And these, so these two... Uh, sort of uh, threads, uh, one from Chicago and the other from England, merged and constructed the space that is now presenting itself as the problem of the gangland in uh, contemporary Pakistan. I see. Okay. So uh, when you say contemporary, what is the time that you s are studying? Well, th that's actually an excellent question because uh, time is not linear in, in many of these, if, if you really look at these uh, things closely. Um, it contracts and expands and it fractures and it comes together. So it's, it's a difficult uh, uh, thing to pinpoint. But everybody, again, grand consensus, uh, everybody in Pakistan was absolutely adamant that at some point in the late 90s, this peaceful working class zone of old city Karachi, uh, where people just sang and danced and sort of reveled in their poverty, those good old people, um, <laughs> and sort of like an ethnic, racial, religious harmony, which is true, right? Mm -hmm. uh, centuries of it, right? Working people, solidarity, leftist, progressive politics, all of this is true uh, to an extent. 
somehow, out of the blue, somewhere at the end of the, of the, uh, of the 1990s, suddenly becomes a violent gangland, right? Okay. Um, and so sort of that suddenness is precisely what this three century of, of research actually tries mm -hmm. to question. So wait, was it really that sudden? And so the rise of the gangs um, actually in this temporality coincides firstly with uh, the coming of uh, a military dictatorship, a US-backed military dictatorship in Pakistan, okay. uh, which abetted this, this war on terror um, uh, temporality. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and so Karachi being the financial and uh, really sort of the economic hub of, of Pakistan, the biggest city in, in the country and one of the biggest cities in the world really, how does one stabilize order in a place uh, where uh, one has destabilized uh, any form of democratic political process? Right. Well, one does throw, so through strongmen, through enabling strongmen. And so, um, an easy answer would be, uh, and not an incorrect answer would be, that the rise of the gangs coincided with the rise of a bigger gang in Pakistan, which was the Pakistani army taking over the state. Mm -hmm. Okay, so uh, my next question would be, of course, why did the military allow the gangs to persist in that area, especially since it was you know, the financial center of the country? Well, so this is the this is uh, a part of uh, gang research that we don't actually sort of uh, talk about uh, too much, which is exactly what does it mean for a city to be the financial center of uh, a country, right? And well, economists, uh, good ones, um, and uh, anthropologists, social scientists have generally been sort of uh, uh, have now converged onto the fact that uh, there is a, a very strong relationship between informal, illicit, dark, shadow economies mm -hmm. and what we know as the economy, right? The national economy or right. the city's economy. And actually what we realize is that uh, activity and exchange in this sphere, uh, this, this informal sphere, uh, is infrastructural mm -hmm. to many of the activities that are going on in the formal sphere. In places uh, such as uh, the post-colony, the post-colonial states, um, the, the, this relationship is far more entangled. It, it's far more visible, mm -hmm. visibly entangled. So right now we're going through the whole uh, Ukraine controversy here. Well, that appears as a shock to people, right? Russia Gate may appear as a shock to people, but this is the way politics has happened in most of the world for most of time. Uh, and so um, that process becomes bare when one looks at gang activity. So when you say, why would they allow? I would say, why would they not, right? <laughs> because gang activities, uh, these gangs are embroiled in, as I said, 300 years of connections. Uh, the Baloch people are spread, the Baloch people and their, their business partners and their, and their mm -hmm. friends and their co cooperative groups are spread out throughout Pakistan, Afghanistan, Iran, the Persian Gulf, uh, the Gulf states, Saudi Arabia, East Africa, right? The Baloch people are not racially uniform. Mm -hmm. So in Karachi, there is Afro-Baloch people as well as Pashtun Baloch people. They present as different, but they all call themselves Baloch and they all accept each other. Mm -hmm. uh, to various the degrees. term Baloch, what do you mean by that? That's a very good question. It's difficult to say. Uh, the Baloch in Pakistan become an ethnic group 
but and they are a peripatetic people with a very robust uh, oral history of themselves. But because they are spread out across these oceanic and uh, terrestrial uh, boundaries across these different states, always at the margins, always the seafarers and the caravan drivers and um, traders and uh, sailors, uh, it is they become different people. They, they accept different people. They are accepted into different socialities uh, very easily. They're easy to get along, and they keep those ties. My gangs were utilizing those networks to run their informal and, and, informal and illicit economies. Mm -hmm. And that is how they were buttressing a city that was facing, and is still facing, intense social, ecological, uh, political crises, mm -hmm. right? Uh, it is a city where resources are being uh, channeled and distributed in such a way that it's producing huge, huge swaths of marginalized populations that don't have access to housing, that don't have access to water. Drinking water is, a, is vanishing in Karachi, as, as in most of South Asia. Uh, climate change is happening. And so how do you then keep the city running? Well, you draw on these centuries of informal networks uh, and have this, this special population, the Baloch people, who become off the place wherever they are. So a gangster in, in Liari, for instance, uh, being hunted by the police, may have a cousin who's a migrant worker in Bahrain who's working for the Bahraini police, uh, stomping down the Arab Spring for the Bahraini state, and so producing order in a very different capacity there mm -hmm. as the police. Uh, the Omani army, the army of Oman, is largely Baloch and has historically been that. There's Baloch communities throughout Kenya and Tanzania and sort of uh, Zanzibar. Uh, Iran, again, the, they have a separatist movement there. They're um, marginalized and sort of uh, brutalized there as well, as well as in Pakistan. And so the Baloch are many things. Uh, but in being many things, they can draw on those many resources and connections. OK. Let's get back to the violence of the gangs. Sure, sure. Um, so you've uh, described how the gangs help to really um, create political order, right? Mm -hmm. um, but there's also violence involved. And, and I'm curious to know how the media looks upon the violence. That's, uh, that's an excellent, excellent question. And the media has. Uh, played a role in producing Leari as a gangland and producing the gang as, uh, as this a specter of uh, arbitrary, unreasonable, mm -hmm. uh, pathological violence. Um, uh, the media has sort of played a role, by and large, in, in flattening many of the nuances uh, of gang activity in Leari. So for instance, what you would find uh, if you stumbled into Liari in 2009, just before the, uh, the gang violence truly sort of reached its epic, uh, epic proportions and, and became like this uh, something that was uh, threatening the writ of the Pakistani state, or so we heard. Mm -hmm. um, in 2009, you stumble into Liari, and you'll find that uh, these gangs were involved in uh, in processes by which they were claiming funds from USAID um, to promote uh, women's education in, in, in Liari because they said, uh, and r mostly rightly so, that uh, 
uh, in the age of uh, uh, Islamic terrorism or, or this perception of Islamic terrorism, the Baloch were a Muslim community that have practiced an indifference to difference. Mm -hmm. uh, they are extremely secular in their social outlook and they are pro-women's education. So give us the development money, give us the DFID money, and we will promote uh, girls' education in this part uh, of uh, Liari. And they were fairly successful uh, mm -hmm. in doing that. So those are the kinds of processes you will see there, mm -hmm. right? So in the first phase, uh, when, when, um, uh, when the gangs are sort of stabilizing political order, these are the kinds of activities they're taking part in. They're, they're, run, they're uh, inaugurating cultural shows and mm -hmm. uh, funding plays and sort of uh, acts of charity. Right. And I mean, so there things. is a dichotomy there, though. They're doing all of this wonderful thing, but Absolutely. then there's also the violence. So how does that come into play? Well, that's the, that's the thing. Uh, in the process of the stabilization, this is something I write about uh, in, in the book, uh, uh, which sort of I'm working on, uh, which is that in the process, we, we have to take this as a temporal process, right? Uh, in the first phase, they are stabilizing order. Mm -hmm. But then uh, at some point, the gangs figure out that why are we doing this on behalf of uh, people sitting in, in the capital, mm -hmm. uh, the political elite of the city? We're the ones who are doing all this stuff, right? So, so rather than staying in this liminal position as instruments of order, they try to become party to order itself. So around 2009, 2010, these gangsters, uh, they decide to join politics. They, they make these um, overtures uh, to political formations. That's not acceptable. Right, uh, because that is not what maintains uh, order in the city. Their key role is precisely that they, they stay on this border between formal and informal, state and society, law and outlaw. Right, That's what their function is in maintaining order. If they drop to either side completely, they lose that position. They can't broker order. And so what they're trying to do in their ambitions, their desire to become legitimate, mm -hmm is bucking this order, right? They're destabilizing it. And so then follows an intense period, this is the second phase, uh, where not only are they fighting amongst themselves to become this order, but also the political elite, uh, the Pakistani government, uh, which by this time the, the military has been uh, humiliatingly driven out of power through a people's uh, democratic movement in, in 2007 and 2008. Well, by this time, uh, nobody wants them around uh, because they have all these ambitions. And so in the second phase, there's intra-gang violence, but also uh, intra-gang violence, but also uh, the gangs are becoming too much for the state to handle. They're not playing their part as instruments anymore. Mm -hmm. And so they must be culled. And so there is, in 2013, a military operation. And so the military that was humiliatingly driven out of power in 2007 can now in 2013 come back and say, look, your city is going to the dogs. We're coming in and we're saving you, right? And right. so those who were their erstwhile partners um, uh, in, the, in the phase between 99 and, and 2008, now they come in onto the streets of the city, a good excuse to come onto the uh, streets of the city, and they kill young men, young Baloch men from Liari indiscriminately. They kill them, they render them disaparecido, uh, they disappear them, 
uh, or they put them in these uh, draconian anti-terror courts um, where due process is, is uh, abrogated, really, mm -hmm. um, that were uh, sort of instituted in Pakistan beginning to 2014. Um, and uh, and they, they take care of the problem. Mm -hmm. But once they're there, they've never left. So now the, the Pakistani army has a permanent presence, a policing presence. Right on the streets of the city. So that is the situation today, and there is no longer any gangland violence, but there probably is military violence? Well, yes. Uh, a bit of both? Uh, a bit of both. Um, the military works in, in, uh, in very different ways, uh, in, in diverse ways. It's, it's, not, uh, it's a huge enterprise, and so um, it uh, it articulates its power in in various different ways. It has it, it commands a lot of different kinds of activities. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't need to always resort to overt violence. Um, uh, but uh, we know that there's different kinds of uh, violence. Um, the gangs, yes, uh, they're no longer there as such, and uh, uh, sort of Liadi became after the gangs this this this. Uh, poaching ground, or I don't know, I don't want to call it a poaching ground, but uh, um, a way in which lots of uh, human rights and uh, um, educational and sort of all these different kinds of NGOs and entrepreneurial groups could swoop in onto the remnants of what the gangs left behind, the rubble uh, after the, the gang war, and sort of uh, really appropriate cheap labor, uh, devalued labor of the people of uh, Liari, and say, oh, look, you're from the gangland. Uh, nobody else will give you a job. But look, out of the kindness of, uh, out of, the kindness of my heart, uh, why don't you work as an entrepreneur for my factory, not in the factory, but stay at your home, uh, build whatever I need you to build, and I'll give you, and I'll buy it from you for uh, 50 cents on the dollar. You know, like right. those are the kinds of things that are happening uh, in the audience. It's really tragic that this is the cost uh, of peace, pure exploitation. Right. Um, but uh, the gangs, of course, uh, these formations don't completely die. And so uh, last January, um, a really sort of well-respected uh, political figure uh, in Karachi uh, who lived in a completely different part of town and sort of affiliated in a very different kind of politics. Um, he was, uh, um, his car was just entering his driveway and these two young men um, uh, approached him on a, on a motorbike and right in front of his, his, his gate, uh, they shot him point blank and they killed him. Um, this had nothing to do with Liari. Uh, but uh, when, uh, and the state didn't want to uh, uh, really pursue the case, they were sort of uh, dragging their feet and everything. Eventually, when they were forced uh, through social media, through sort of uh, uh, political pressure by the victim's family, they came out and they said, oh, these were hired killers um, who are affiliated with the Lihari gang war. By this time, the gangs are completely decimated, mm -hmm. right? And so what you have are these remnants uh, um, who have had a career in some kind of violence who are now sort of these, these free radicals floating mm -hmm. around in the city trying to figure out their place there. And uh, so, so, so gang violence, yes, has disappeared, but violence in the city... Uh, 
These are people of the city desiring mm -hmm. bodies with their own aims, with their own trajectories and their tools right. and their trades and their practices. So the activist was targeted for his activism or for another reason? Uh, well, he was actually uh, uh, um, a politician from a, from a major political party. Um, uh, and so after uh, the military cleaned up the gangs, it turned its uh, eyes uh, onto other sources of disorder in mm -hmm. the city. And, uh, and this is sort of outside the purview of my own work, and the other people have done great research on this. Uh, uh, they looked uh, to this one political formation that had been um, uh, quite dominant in the city for the past 30, 40 years. Um, and then they turned to them, and then they decimated that political formation, mm -hmm. which was an extremely uh, complex, uh, often extremely violent, uh, but often extremely popular political formation in the city. Okay. Um, and so, uh, yeah, and so what you see in Pakistan is at this moment a fracturing of political opposition uh, through various processes. Mm -hmm. And this was one of them uh, peculiar to the city of Karachi. Okay, I know you are continuing this work with a book. Do you want to briefly um, tell us about it? Yes, uh, my book, uh, I've just recently sort of uh, settled on a title, um, uh, which again may change. Uh, uh, a lot of people get to have a say in it, including my lovely wife. Uh, <laughs> uh, but it's called uh, uh, Machines of Violent Desire. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty self-evident why I would name it right. that. Um, but also looking at uh, gangs as the articulation of a weight of desires, right? Mm -hmm. Both sort of the Pakistani state, uh, which I've been talking about, but also they were uh, partaking in uh, polio vaccination campaigns that were funded by the WHO sitting in Geneva trying to eradicate polio off the face of the earth, mm -hmm. right? These guys were instrumental in, in, in affecting that in Karachi. Right. So, so that desire to sort of, for, for public health, for instance, mm -hmm. right? That desire for ordering the city, for, for security in the city, um, uh, for, for people to have access to basic necessities in a city that's really facing the brink of, uh, of this, this uh, climate-induced uh, crisis, uh, climate-change-induced crisis. So, so the gang becoming an articulation point for these various processes of desiring, that's okay. what the book is exploring. Okay, well, we will look forward to hearing more about that. Thank you so much for being here Thank with us Thank you, today. Marilyn. Wonderful conversation. For more information about Professor Suhail and his research, please visit our website at macmillanreport.yale.edu. Be sure to join us again for another episode of the Macmillan Report, made possible through funding from the Whitney and Betty Macmillan Center for International and Area Studies at Yale.